You're listening to the Coffee Clatch Crew Podcast with your hosts, Jason and Christina. Consider it your digital water cooler. I do hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the Coffee Clatch Crew, The Stand episode review. I'm Jason Pistorino. I'm Christina Lomangino. And today we take our stand with an instant coffee episode of episode one, The End. I'm guessing the last episode's called The Beginning. It's not, actually, but I'm not going to tell you here what it's called. I'm Jason Pistorino. I'm Christina Lomangino, and we are so excited to be here talking about The Stand, 42 years after the novel was published and 26 years after the first miniseries, the 94 version. We return for this latest on CBS All Access. Now, this is an instant coffee. If you're new here, you're wondering, well, what does that mean? It means it's our instant take right after watching the show. Later on this week, most likely on Sunday, we will have our full review, which hopefully will include questions and comments from our Clatchers, which you could always send to us via Twitter at CKC Podcast or email contact at coffeeclatchcrew.com and your votes of most valuable stand. And that's after every episode, we ask our Clatchers, who's your most valuable character, basically? And we have a poll there. So if you haven't done so yet, go ahead and check that out, and we'll remind you later on as well. For this instant coffee, and we are hoping to do one for the premiere and the finale, we're going to give you just our overall thoughts on how this show is starting out, the deaths for the episode, which we will be including in the regular cast moving forward, a brief overview, the questions we're left with, and our candidates for who took the most valuable stand. Of course, that's excluding a lot, so in addition to what Jason just said, we will do a fuller breakdown of the title meaning, the new faces and places for the episode, good versus evil, what clues are we getting as to what characters fall on what side, the full crow's eye view of the plot, and the spoilers. That's all in the full cast. Then we should say we're not going to do an instant coffee after every episode. It's already late in the day, and it's very difficult to get a watching session in and an instant coffee. But don't worry, every week we will give you a full cast, and those will 99% be out every Sunday, except for next week, because it's Christmas. (laughs) We're going to do our best. We're not sure how quickly we're going to be able to turn that around, but we will try. But anyways, welcome. If you're new here, we're so glad you found us. If you are a clatcher who goes way back with us, thank you for joining us for this show. We are super excited for The Stand, and if you know anything about Christina, this is one of her favorite, favoritest most favoritist uh, books I don't read. Can you tell? That's not a real word. And miniseries, the 1994 version. So she is super excited. But Jason, I did drag you into watching the 94 miniseries fairly recently. I watched it once when I was very young with my mother. So I had a recollection of it. But watching it again, I'm on board 100%. It was great storytelling. And we said this in the prepper cast, but in case you haven't listened to that one, we have done some coverage on King Works over at our Patreon. If you want to check that out, you can go to our website, coffeeclatchcrew.com. That's Clatch with a K. Click on the Patreon tab. That will give you all the information about that. We've covered movie adaptations, including It, Chapter 1 and 2, Gerald's Game, Doctor Sleep, and The Shining. And while I have read many of Stephen King's works, there's many that I haven't. He writes so much. uh, I don't know if there's too many people who've read every single one of his books. (laughs) Well, that's true, but the point is to say we are not going to be the first and last word on all things King. We are not a Stephen King exclusive cast. No. 
But I have read, listened to, and watched The Stand a ton of times. So if there's a property I'm more familiar with, it's this one. And after waiting so many years, I can't wait to talk about this. We can't wait to bring you guys into the conversation. It is a little difficult being on CBS All Access. And I haven't heard that much leading up to the start of this show. Yeah, it doesn't have buzz like, you know, how HBO knows how to make buzz. So I'm, I'm hopeful, but worried that we'll have enough people watching The Stand, let alone listening to us. So congratulations if you are here. I'm thrilled to have you with us. Make sure that you tell your family, your friends. This show is amazing. Oh, also, um, if you haven't noticed, Christina was talking about one of the movies that we did, The Shining, as a full review. It's a Patreon cast, but we actually put it on this channel for you guys to listen to. So check that out. That was a bonus. (laughs) But bring other people on board because we want to hear your thoughts too. Without further ado, let's jump right in. Let's talk about this season premiere where we did get our first title sequence. Although it wasn't super elaborate, there's not a lot to really dissect there. We get an opening shot of the corn and Mother Abigail speaking, saying, Mm -hmm. it's there you must go and make your stand. This is what God wants of you. And the title letters kind of gradually fade in. I'm wondering if the first one is shorter and then the ones from here on out are fuller title sequences. We've seen that in the past. I kind I think of hope it's so, because even the closing, the ending sequence was a little longer yeah. and more elaborate. It makes sense. You, you draw the viewers in with a quick title sequence, and then you get to the story. But then once you have everyone hooked, it's like a whole new book. It's a new book cover, hardcover, book two of this book that you love. And you stare at the cover, and you can feel it. That's what a really well-done title sequence is to me. Well, in talking about getting right into it, we had wondered leading up to this how this version would go because we'd heard the timeline was going to be different. It wasn't going to be straight chronological like the book and even the 94 series was where we follow kind of a linear timeline Mm -hmm. that they were going to be jumping around a lot, opening up in Boulder, then giving us flashbacks. We didn't know what that was going to mean. Are we going to get enough of the outbreak, how the pandemic spreads? Are we going to see enough of these characters building? Are they good versus evil? Does it make sense? Well, I found a great quote from Vulture about the layout of this show. They say fans of the book will know this ambitious narrative won't always be so focused on the population decimating pandemic, but the premiere does have a lot to do with the contagion and its victims. Episode one pairs the opening story down to focus on two big character arcs of very different men, Harold Lauder and Stu Redman, while saving many of the other characters for future episodes and giving us only mere glimpses of the two titans of the novel, Mother Abigail and Randall Flagg. One of Boone's most fascinating choices is to take King's effective opening sequence and basically splice it through the episode. Right off the bat, I have to tell you, they did a fantastic job of drawing you in. I am, and I know it's a little early, it's been one episode, enjoying this even more than the 1994 version. I do not envy Josh Boone for holding this giant book in his hand and say. How do I make a script out of this? (laughs) But so far, so good. The only thing is, I believe you said it was nine episodes? That's correct. It would be great if it was 12 or 11. But that's also a lot of money that CBS would have to put up to to say, like, here it is. So I'm I'm concerned. How are they going to have enough time? The 1994 version, they had three episodes, four episodes, but they were three hours long or something crazy. Yeah, they split it much like the book which has three parts that King confusingly calls three books. Mm -hmm. 
and they sort of followed each. It was never enough time. And looking at this, I thought the same as you, even with hour-long episodes, assuming that they all will be, nine episodes is never enough. We're going to give you some more thoughts on that and on what could be upcoming for the season in the future, but we're saving that for our spoiler section. Yes. So stay tuned for the full cast. Like you, though, Jason... My initial thoughts are extremely positive. Throughout the entire premiere, I was thinking to myself, this is a weird way to do it, jumping back and forth. And not only that, we are pretty much following two characters and the majority of their arc from beginning to maybe midway point. I wondered, are they going to do this for a while? Every couple of episodes follow a group of characters and take you through what their journey has been like? Yeah, if you either look at IMDb, you see all the main characters, or you listen to our What You Need to Know podcast, you'll see there are so many characters. You haven't even begun to touch the surface with this first episode. I think the way it's unfolding at this point, I think you're right. Because they showed us before the pandy, during it, and then they even showed us once they all meeting at at Boulder, which Mm -hmm. is the Mother Abigail's home base. And a little bit into that by the closing sequence. So I think that was the whole arc that we're going to get. I think they're going to concentrate more on once they get to Boulder, what happens after that point, which I don't mind. What they're going to do next episode is going to introduce a few more characters, but maybe sprinkle little storylines of the characters we've been introduced to so far. Obviously, Mother Abigail, Randall Flagg, but more specifically, the sprinkles will be Harold and Franny. I think they'll sprinkle, maybe. Yeah, you know how I see this going is very much like The Haunting of Hill House. Mm. For the first half, roughly, of the season, they did this. There was a deeper dive into certain characters each episode, starting you off in the present to get you excited and give you a feel for what's coming, but then going back to how the past brought them here. But then about halfway, once they've gotten through most of the characters, Mm -hmm. they start to focus more on the present and how are they all tying into the present storyline, which for The Stand would be back to around book two, Boulder, Colorado, what's going on there. And then the latter half of the season will be from that point forward to the end of the book and really mount the action. I think that works, at least on paper. Because now, by the time we get to the second section, we all have an intimate knowledge of all of our characters. We all have a feeling, at least, of who we like and who we don't like. Um, And then we can progress from there, and everything that the characters go through will mean that much more as a viewer. And another one of my concerns, splitting the format this way, was that we wouldn't get the interesting journey of the character arcs building as the pandemic and the aftermath happens, which side are they going to fall on, good versus evil? Would we really see that? But I think they are going to manage to do exactly what you said. We will still get that intrigue. We'll keep leading them up to present time without knowing which way are they really going to go. And they're going to intersperse the downfall, the pandemic, the horror of it. It's really what I was hoping, and I can't be sure that's what's going to keep happening after episode one, but it Mm -hmm. feels like it here. Now, I know the critics aren't so hot on this. Already? We're going to give you a full breakdown in our later episode, but just as an idea, IMDb is at a 6.2, Rotten Tomatoes a 54%, and they are criticizing the storyline, the switching back and forth, that it is confusing, In addition to the length, that it also draws out too long. Draws out? I I could not disagree with all of that more fully. Okay, so whoever's writing that is an 18-year-old who 
can't keep their attention on anything. I'm sorry. I don't really mean that. But the fact of the matter is, that's not true. I hate it when we watch a show or a movie where they treat us like we're dumb. Because then it's not fun. It's not enticing. It's not stimulating. They're not treating us like we're dumb in this show. Maybe some things are left unanswered right now. It's the first episode. You're supposed to be a little confused. Who is that guy, that really sexy blonde guy with a a bright smiley button? (laughs) I don't know. You're not supposed to know. You're supposed to be confused about that. Who is that Mother Abigail? That's Whoopi Goldberg. Holy shit. What is she doing? How come we only saw her for a second? It felt impactful, but then that's all we saw. There's a reason for that. Yeah, I agree. And I think that they are also taking into consideration that many viewers probably have at least a passing familiarity, if not a good understanding of the original storyline. You don't have to spoon feed every single thing. I thought the time was perfect. I couldn't believe it that an hour had passed. There's still so much more. But I only saw really Stu and Harold. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, Franny is there, but we don't really get her storyline. Now, that is my one negative that I will get more into later. And it could just be partially because we haven't really done the full Franny storyline yet. I don't think this was a Franny episode. She was just there to give you some of Harold's storyline. There are parts of what they're doing with her character that I already don't like. As compared to the book. Correct. Because I think the 94 series also got a lot wrong in Mm -hmm. a different way. But outside of that... I'm really enjoying it. It leaves me wanting more. And we do get a good look at the downfall, the start of the spread of this pandemic. Captain Trips, Tube Neck, the Super Flu, whatever you want to call it, it took on all these names in the book. It's just as terrifying. And that's not your only view of it. We're going to see it every episode for a little while. I hope so. As we get introduced to these new characters, for sure. How are they dealing with these sections of uh, this timeline of the world? To be honest with you, I wish I was coming into this show naked. Mm. I wish this was my first time. Because so far, the beats are extraordinary. You know what was cool? They took the book, and you said it was written 40-something years ago? Yeah. And then we had the show... 26. And they modernized it, but it's not blatant. We got internet, we have a MacBook. Well, we except have... for the Tom Cruise. <laughs> well, I think that's reference. That was a little blatant. <laughs> I think that's funny. It, it could go either way. I like what it says about Harold. Well, we have a, a pandemic happening, and there's Tom Cruise, lead Scientologist. I think there's more to it than the fact that it's just Tom Cruise. Well, but also Harold trying to emulate him. <laughs> yeah. His fake smile. We'll get more into Harold in the deep dive. I think they're doing an even better job giving you the look at his character. While the timeline is different and spliced, I actually think it keeps truer to the novel in many ways, this adaptation. In the book, you get point of view from many different characters, that firsthand look. Mm -hmm. And I think they're finding a way to do that on TV so that we get the inner workings of a mind (laughs) and what's happening to it. That's really difficult. I was saying to you, we're seeing so many more things than I did in the 94 version. This is amazing. And you're like, it's in the book. And I'm like, oh my God, they, they, they cut all of that out? Mm-hmm. That's so much to cut out and it means so much. For every one of the characters, I'm having a feeling if this is any indication. We also get more into some characters that we didn't get to see in the 94. Another thing I was hoping for. Now, many of them are taken from us pretty early on, so let's just take a moment to honor our deaths. We met and lost Cobb. Well, I'm going to borrow from King here. No great loss. (laughs) Dr. Ellis. That's a great loss to me. Not for the fact of the story, 
meaning like he's not pertinent to what's going to happen. But he was actually a nice character. I think he, as compared to the 94 version, and I don't know about the book version, he acted more of a explainer to us as he was explaining it to Stu. And there was something warming about him for some reason. Yeah, I want to do a breakdown of all of our characters thus far. In the full cast, like we said, we'll do new faces and places, who you're introduced to that time, and how they differ from their book counterparts, because Dr. Ellis, certainly a mishmash and a new construction, and he's great. He's very different. Mishmash, you mean he's a mixture of a couple characters from the book? Yeah, as well as some things that are just totally new. Okay. You know what would be awesome, Chris? Sorry to mess... uh, Let's put a pause on the deaths, but we can't do it because I get too emotionally sensitive where I need to tell you my truths. If we established at this point, I will be Team Randall Flag, and I'm going to be going from that angle of the teams, and you're going to be Mother Abigail. That would be fun, but I'm telling you, I wouldn't be able to pull it off. Hey, you could try. There's also people that are going to fall somewhere in the middle, but again, that's for our good versus evil later on. Back to the deaths, we also had General Starkey. Can't wait to talk more about him. Oh, you got more? Okay. Character-wise, I got a ton to say about him in the full. Campion, of course. And then, let's just put it this way. Everyone in Arnett, Texas, except for Stu, and perhaps we hear about Ralph Hodge's daughter, Eva, mm. who was alive at the time that they fled the facility. We don't know what happened to her. But also, everyone in Agunkwit, Maine, according to Harold, including Fran's father, Harold's mother, and his sister, Amy. Who was just having a bridal shower, unfortunately. Um Clatchers, if you haven't heard us before, we'll talk, we talk about this often when it comes to Stephen King. Maine is one of his main, pun intended, stomping grounds. And that's because he's from Maine. But I think it results as a, as a great area for storytelling. But remember those uh, punk kids who were messing with Harold when he was a peeping Tom? Now, first of all, he was being a peeping Tom. That's creepy. Mm-hmm. I would have said something to him, but I wouldn't have chased him down, tried to beat him up. But that's very reminiscent of a lot of Stephen King stories. Oh, you always have the bullies. I wonder if he was bullied as a kid. I would think themes that repeat throughout a lot of his works and take on a lot of importance feel like they come from real life. We know that other explorations definitely do, Mm -hmm. such as addiction. But you talking about that, I think, takes us nice into just discussing a little overview, not a complete plot breakdown yet, but the highlights of what we saw here. Because as we mentioned, it's split into past and present In the past, we get flashbacks, primarily for Harold and Stu. With Harold, they take us to five months prior to the pandemic, and we see what life is like in a gunkwit. We see that he is teased relentlessly. He's a nerd, he's an outsider, and he's also weird in a creepy way. He does things like peeping on Franny, practicing for what he's going to say to her in the mirror, how he might manipulate her. Could he someday get her to like him? Later on, writing these weird memoirs on his typewriter. There's something off about Harold. There really is. We saw from the kids, they were saying he got expelled because he wrote something too, which was quote-unquote fiction. A manifesto. Of uh, shooting up a school. So right away, you were thinking, well, if I gave you a quick synopsis, you would say, oh, this is the character we're supposed to feel bad for. Mm. But no, because he is a creepo. He is off. He is weird. He would be, if I was in high school with him, someone I would avoid, but I wasn't a bully. Um, If I was a bully, someone I would bully because he's weird, he's creepy. Someone you need to potentially be kind of scared of. Exactly, yeah. I think they are very effective each time they show you something like that. 
they do give you a bit of empathy. You do feel kind of bad for Harold. I mean, as we open up after the peeping incident, we see Harold beat up, crashing his bike, carrying the broken bike through town as people laugh and stare at him. That sucked. And a short time later, walking through the same town that's now empty, with dead bodies littered everywhere, calling out for survivors but finding none. And the only person left alive in the town, anywhere that he knows of, (laughs) is Franny, who in their first interaction tells him she's not his babysitter anymore and he should get lost. She doesn't want to have anything to do with him. Well, he was being creepy there. Yes. So back and forth between the two, you know, now he goes home and he's doing these weird things, preparing to come back and talk to her. But you get a mix of emotions in response to him. I think at first I got a little bit of feeling bad for him. But to be honest with you, I I noticed quickly that he had no empathy for anybody but himself. His family, his parents were sick. His sister was sick. She was just going to have an engagement party. Obviously, she's being kind of a bitch to her. They're all mean to him. Yeah. All right. Well, so maybe that's why he doesn't have empathy. Okay. Well, maybe I have no empathy and I'm the crazy one. (laughs) Well, and also just a little bit more insight. No real spoilers here. But we do learn in the books that his family was completely focused on his sister. She was the golden child. She was pretty and popular and engaged to be married. They're throwing Mm -hmm. this bridal shower. She's friends with the popular people like Franny. This is how these two characters connected originally. And they're pretty mean to him. Amy mostly dismisses him. The mother tries, but doesn't know what to do with such a weird son. And the father is pretty awful to him. We didn't meet him. Did we meet him? No, No. we don't get to see him here. And in the books, Harold is overweight. He has a serious acne problem. Sounds like he's got a personal hygiene problem. Oh, so again, they went different from the books. Because I only know Harold from the 94... From the 94 version where he looks almost identical to that guy. Mm -hmm. And in both cases, this is a good looking actor. You know, in the 94, they they put pimples all over him. They greased up his hair a bit. Neither one does he know how to dress correctly. But you could see underneath that. Okay, but he's a good looking guy. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, you really get the feeling. And I'm not just talking attractiveness. Because obviously that is not the cardinal thing. But as I mentioned, he's got a hygiene problem. Mm. He's very bizarre. He's a little bit scary. But always thinking to himself, he has all these talents, though, and things to offer that people just aren't appreciating, like his intelligence, like his literary skills. And I enjoy that we get a glimpse into that, that this is where he comes to really admire Franny. And an interaction that he had with her is so meaningful because people aren't often like that to Harold. When he got his first rejection letter to, I don't know, some kind of literary magazine, Oh, yeah, yeah. She nailed it to his bedroom wall and told him to remember it and not to give up. And he says ever since then, he's been putting every subsequent rejection letter up on that nail and he hasn't given up. Is that what we need to do with our podcast? (laughs) Because we wanted screeners for this, but we got rejected. Well, and thus, he doesn't give up on Franny. You know, we see him formulating his plan, his idea to go to the CDC Plague Center in Atlanta, returning to try to bring Franny with him, but finding that she has overdosed on pills. She's in the tub, unconscious. She doesn't want to go on anymore. But he kicks the door down, forces her to vomit up the pills, saves her life. Now, again, how much of this is selfish? Well, all of it. Harold Um, likes her. He wants to be the hero. He doesn't want to be alone. Well, he said he was concerned for her. And I was thinking, he's going to knock the door down and she's going to be in the shower taking a shower. And she's going to be like, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Uh, until I saw it. But he had no reason really to be concerned. 
Until he knocked I it down know. and saw her. It, two seconds after seeing the door is locked. Well, I got to come in yeah. and help. She's taking a shower, dude. <laughs> Whatever the intentions in that specific moment, we know that there's certainly other motivations going on here. Yeah. I do have to take a minute, and we'll talk more about this later, but I'm very unhappy with the whole depiction this episode of Franny as a character. And I do understand we're only getting glimpses. We probably will get more to her point of view later build up her character, but this sequence, making the change, which was not in either of the first versions, mm-hmm. first two versions, to have her actually make an attempt to commit suicide. That's a big difference from the books, yeah, and the 94 version. Now, I'm not saying this wouldn't be a thought that many people might contemplate. Especially with, what, with what's happening. Given the darkness of everything that's going on, Losing not just her family and everyone she loves, but 99 point whatever percent of the population. And the only one that's left is Harold Lauder. But just the overall kind of characterization of Franny in the book, she is such a strong character. She has so many skills and abilities, such personalities. She is never going to give up. This is really, really hard. And she might have a breakdown. Like when she has to bury her father, she certainly does. But she also has a lot of determination and she has a unique voice. And I don't think we are getting any of that, at least in the premiere. I don't think this was her episode, even though she's in it. I really think this was a Stu and Harold episode, to be honest with Mm -hmm. you. And she was just there to show Stu's story. I think we'll get more of her. I think my hesitation does come from the fact that the 94 version, I never felt did Franny enough justice I don't want her to just be a foil for other characters because Mm. that's not what she was in the book. I think you're right that we will get more to her. It's just unfortunate that the premiere doesn't, and so her presence just looks like a counterpoint to Harold. I am going to reserve all of my real judgments for moving forward. Yeah, I haven't read the book, so I can't even give you an opinion or fight you on that. Mm. But as you say, we want to have a counterpoint to the two Big people are Harold and Stu. Let's talk about Stu. The entire buildup and description of his character isn't too different from the 94 series. We just get more. We mm-hmm. get different kinds of looks and interactions here. Immediately, I love Marsden as Stu, which I really thought I would. I said in our prepper episode, I was nervous in first hearing about this adaptation because Gary Sinise was always going to be Stu Redmond to me. No, it's going to be difficult. I really liked him as an actor. But when I found out it was James Marsden, I also thought he fits so well. And he is portraying that kind of essential qualities of Stu to me. And we get to see all of the really good things. How this all began. You know, Campion crashing his car into the pumps at Hap's gas station. Stu Redman becoming part of a quarantine that blocks off all of Arnett, Texas. The CDC attempting to figure out what's going on here, holding Stu in a research facility. And him meeting Dr. Ellis. These are some great interactions. As you mentioned, while Ellis doesn't give him a lot of answers, he does use those typical book lines. It's classified. He's a lot warmer. He does feel for Stu. They develop a relationship. We see that they're testing him to try to figure out why he's immune. And when an outbreak happens at the facility in Texas, they transport him to this underground research center in Stovington, Vermont, the brainchild of the four-star Army General Starkey. In fact, the room he's being kept in was originally meant for the vice president. Cool room. This is pretty fascinating. I'd love to know what the rest of this facility looks like. I don't know if we're ever going to see it again. No, we won't. 
But, you know, after a few days, we see Ellis come back downstairs to the room. He's sick and dying. He tells Stu the situation has gotten out of control, and they can't even get out without the say-so of Starkey because he controls movements from floor to floor, but nobody's seen or heard from him in days. If I was Starkey, I would be uh, not seen or heard from as well. Yeah, he's hiding out in his control center. Yeah. Uh, There's a lot going on with this, and there's a lot going on with Stu, but I want to refrain because we're going long now. So I'm going to save it, but I I like Stu, Mm -hmm. and I liked him in the first one, (laughs) first one, and I liked him in the 94 version. He is such an interesting character. One of the things I liked for both of them was he is the quintessential Mother Abigail soldier. He's like the perfection of what she's looking for. He's a good guy. But. Through and through. Yeah. But also we see a lot of weaknesses, even with him. Because he's human. Even the best of the best have weaknesses, have buttons that can be pushed. We'll kill if they need to. And Mm -hmm. we saw Stu kill someone. Mm -hmm. But in the end, you're looking at him as like, that's the guy that you want to be around. He's the good guy. People often criticize Stu as a character for being too one note. Really? That right off the bat, he's just all goodness. There's no gray to him. I think that is basically how he's being portrayed again here. I do think we're going to get some struggles and some situations where we learn more of what's going on in his interior. And as you mentioned, I think him needing to kill Cobb, yeah. you know, because Cobb comes down also dying, raving, ready to kill them. He's got to do that to survive. It gives another layer, but I think as a reader, a viewer, you are going, well, that's survival. He had to do that. He's always concerned about other people. Even Ellis, who is part of the team, kind of holding him captive here. But I, I still enjoy him. I think this is a great depiction. What about Cobb? It was pretty. It was a, a good surprise to see one of our favorite actors from way back when, Daniel Sanjata from Rescue Me. Mm-hmm. And also he, was, he had a little stint in Grey's Anatomy. It was pretty cool to see him. But that's just a personal thing. <laughs> uh, speaking of surprise, I had no idea that Starkey was going to be played by J.K. Simmons. That was awesome. Oh, my God. Excellent. You know, I... Almost met him at our university. They were shooting a film and I walked by him, but I didn't know what to say. How could you not say anything? <laughs> uh, also, they were surrounded by a lot of people. <laughs> well, as you said, let's just quickly finish up here because all of that is taking place in the past. They do intersperse these scenes of the present primarily to show that in Boulder, Colorado, Harold is on this burial committee. We'll talk more about that later. It's one of the most difficult jobs. Yeah, worst job. Worst job, make me the cook. The man in charge there of the burial committee is a former EMT. He's the one that gives the speech later, thanking everyone for coming and doing this difficult work, hoping that some will show up the next day. But another man that's on the team, Teddy Wyzak, he's played by Eon Bailey, is the one who kind of brings Harold in. He tells him about his desire to open up this drive-in at the amphitheater. Yeah. He gives him the nickname of Hawk. Yeah, we're introduced to him in the beginning of the episode. Uh, where he's asked by another person there, why are you always stealing, why are you always taking videos, mm-hmm. movies? And I like the hope that he has. I think that's that's very important to, to still have hope for when this is over, I'm going to open a, a, a little movie theater, uh, amphitheater, and, uh, you know. People need entertainment. And at one point, Harold saves his life. He yeah. pulls him back from falling into the pits where they're burying these bodies. So Teddy doesn't see the old Harold that Harold thinks he can't escape. He sees this guy 
who's showing up for the worst possible job, volunteering mm-hmm. to be there. If he could only hear what we're hearing, what's going on in, in Harold's mind. Us normal people, if we're feeling down or feeling hatred, we're fighting to, to get out of that. He's fighting to stay in it. He's like, this is my comfort zone. I want to hate everybody. Well, he says, if he lets go of all these old hurts and resentments, wouldn't that be letting go of a part of him? How could he do that? I really do think he's teetering. You know, we see that when he's writing these memoirs until that moment where he sees Stu and Franny Mm. now very pregnant together and happy. And even though he's putting on this show, smiling to everybody, he's a nice guy. Internally, he wants to kill both of them. That's the last indicator. No, I can't be this new person. This is too hard. He says in Boulder, he could only ever be Harold Lauder. Out West, he could be a prince. With his fucking heavy typewriter. So this is what bothered me. They went cross-country on their little mopeds, their little Vespas, with that heavy-ass typewriter. Well, if Harold's only taking one thing with him, I think it probably is going to be that typewriter, so... Just as a brief mention, because we will talk more on this later, we get these dreams. As we said, Franny has the first through the corn stalks where she meets Mother Abigail. Stu also goes in through the corn, but comes face to face with the wolf. And he does not like Stu. And Harold, he wakes up in the middle of the desert, Mm -hmm. sees the wolf waiting for him. Vegas lights in the background. Yeah, they're in Vegas, out west. That's where your home is. This is where you'll be safe. This is the type of person Randall Flagg is looking for. And we will go deeper into those dreams because we have so much to say about that. But Randall Flagg himself oh, appears. Yeah. and I got to mention it. Old Clatchers know we love the Skarsgård family. We actually sent an email to Alexander Skarsgård's father, who is another actor, and we said, hey, can we be, uh, can you adopt us? We haven't heard back yet, but we're still hopeful. Stellan. <laughs> Stellan, yeah. We loved you in Thor. Oh, well, there's so much more to talk about. We're going to hold off on that. Make sure you stay tuned for our full episode. But there we will give the results of the poll. Yes, so make sure you vote, please. Of who took the most valuable stand in this episode. So we're just going to tell you the candidates for this week. Of course, we have Harold and Stu, but also Dr. Ellis and Campion. So admittedly, and this happens with every show we cover, the first couple of episodes... The MVP, MVM, Most Valuable Magician from The Magicians, kind of doesn't make sense in the first couple of episodes because they're all developing. So it's not someone making the most valuable stand at this point. But it doesn't matter. Tell us who you're more, most intrigued about or tell us who is, is really establishing themselves or who you just like the most. It really doesn't matter. There's no rules. You're part of the digital water cooler. So go to Twitter, at CKC Podcast, make your vote, and then leave a comment there of why you voted for that person and or what you thought of the first episode. Yeah, I mean, we mentioned a lot of what Harold and Stu went through. What do we think about those arcs? Dr. Ellis, who is very different here, and we get his full story because this is the end of him by this, and Campion, who starts everything. (laughs) They close the episode back on him. Yeah, the difference with Campion in this version is uh, they closed it, but in 94's version, they started it. Mm -hmm. He was the reason. He is the reason why the virus started to spread. It did come from the military. It came from the government. It came full circle. You know, Jason, the center does not hold. (laughs) Nice. So to wrap this instant coffee, we thoroughly enjoyed the premiere of The Stand. We have so many more things to say. Thank you for joining us. 
Please tell your friends and family members, we need more people on our team. We are Mother Abigail saying, join the CKC. I thought I was Mother Abigail and you were Randall Flagg. I told you I could never live that up, (laughs) but it would be fun if I had the balls to do that. Well, along those lines, until next episode, you come see me anytime. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at CKC Podcast. This round is on me. 